Welcome to the Play On Podcast Series, where we have just finished the 2014 summer and fall seasons here at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. I'm your host, Nano Taggart, here with you from Cedar City, Utah. I'm honored to share that in addition to hosting the podcast series, I'm also the newest full-time member of the festival administrative team. We, my producer, Joan Emro, and I would like to sincerely thank you for listening in. We've received such a positive response from this first effort. We will be renewing the podcast this off-season with special guests here from the festival and other experts in the fields of theater and Shakespeare. We'll be discussing the history, impact, and future of the festival, the influence of Shakespeare, and hopefully hearing from you before we see you again next summer or fall. Today we have the head man himself, the executive director of the Utah Shakespeare Festival, R. Scott Phillips. Scott has been with the festival for 37 years. Scott was named executive director in 2007. He was the festival director from 2006 to 2007, managing director for 15 years, and marketing and public relations director for 13 years. Uh, I'm here with R. Scott Phillips, the executive director of the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Scott, thank you so much for taking time out to do this. My pleasure. Thanks for allowing me to be part of this exciting project. It means so much. Uh, th this thing has turned into a, kind of a kind of a big deal for the education department here. Yeah. Uh, in a way, it, it turned from a you know grad student project into something that has you know thousands of listens on the internet and out there in the the land of iTunes, etc. So. Well, I'm uh, not going to sing. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, that's one question I can strike <laughs> off my list. <laughs> I don't know if, how many questions I can think of to ask you that you have not been asked a thousand times, but we're going to do our dang best for sure. Well, you know, there's always something new out there in the world of creativity, and I'm hoping it's I true. can dig a little deeper. Awesome. Uh, one kind of question to set the stage. Um, I don't want to throw you complete softballs, uh, but you've been here for a long time. In fact, you were the first full-time administrative Staff member, Is that, apart from correct. Fred, right? That's correct, because Fred was not even full-time at that time. He's gotcha. still teaching at the university. Okay. I was the first full-time employee the festival ever had. That's incredible. And when I came on board, our budget was $329,000. Oh, wow. Now it's $7 million. Yes, or $7.5 million. Or, yeah. A few changes. Just a few uh, changes. Just a few changes. And a $38.5 million capital campaign and yeah. a few other things like that. But it seems like you and Fred and, you know, everyone that's been a part of this kind of magical event has had a hand in keeping a similar culture, uh, that festival experience uh, we like to talk about so much. Yeah. Um, people that have been coming here for 30 and 40 years or, or longer seem yeah. to get the same fix they got when it was folding chairs, you know, in the grass, uh, sitting, you know, in the open sun on the campus at a yeah. small state college. You know, it's, 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 you're absolutely right, and it's something that I think inherently we just did it. I don't think we set out to mm -hmm. sort of say we're going to try and create this culture of, of being a family and an experience, but that's what yeah. it's become. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when we're out there on the courtyard in the evenings all summer long, yep. it's, I tell people it's like a large family reunion. Yeah. Because I see the same faces and the same people year after year, and they've come home, so to speak. Yep. And they, they're there with their spouse, and then they want to introduce their mother or father, and then these are my grandchildren, and my, uh -huh. you know, and, and it goes on and on, and it, it's year after year after year. And yeah. that is so exciting because, first of all, it means we're doing something right because they want to Absolutely. come back. Yep. 
but secondly, that they want to share that experience with future generations. Yeah, that's incredible. And I've seen you and Fred, uh, you know, work the floor, you know, kind of in the Randall in the lobby before the shows and yeah. in intermission. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seems like you both really enjoy it. Uh, we do. You know these names. You know these faces. These are people that, you know, even if you only see them a couple times a year, a year, once you've seen them a couple times a year for 20 years, there's a relationship there, isn't Absolutely, there? Absolutely, there's a relationship. And, you know, that's what it's about. It's about having that communion between actor, audience, between uh, donor and artistic director or whatever it yeah. is. But it's building that relationship. We want to know about what their kids are doing. We want to find yeah. out how is your health and what have you been doing? Where's the last place you traveled to? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's always a danger in that because... Yeah. They may tell you exactly what they think. You <laughs> know what true. I mean? you got to be vulnerable, but, though. But that's okay, too, yeah. because it, it, that way it becomes their festival. Mm-hmm. And it really is, because without them, we wouldn't be here. That's true. They're the ones that, A, first of all, make it worthwhile doing, and then make it possible to do it. Yeah. What have been, especially, you mentioned the growth, you know, from, from day one. Mm-hmm. But even over the last, uh, you know, 10 or 12 years, the organization has grown in so many ways. What yeah. are some of the challenges in uh, keeping a hold of the reins and keeping, you know, a similar culture sure. and, and and creating the same environment for people when, when there's so many more moving parts? Well, first of all, a lot of it we're not in control of. Yeah. Um, I mean, Good the point. world is changing. Yeah. And the way people receive information, the way they uh, allocate their time, the way they want to have their entertainment delivered. Yeah. Uh, some of that we can control, but a lot of it we can't control. Yeah. So we have to decide where we fit in the mix of all of that and how do we keep relevant with what we're trying to do. Um, it was interesting. I attended a, a seminar not too long ago where somebody was talking about theater. And, mm-hmm. you know, because there's always this thing that theater is going to die away and it's yeah. it's not going to be here. And, and I was talking to um, someone involved in film, actually, and they mm-hmm. said, they had done both, and they said, no, no, theater is going to be here a lot longer than film. Even though it's on this this celluloid thing, and it's sitting yeah. there, and you think it's stored forever, um, it, it is stored. It is not immediate. It is not here and now. Mm-hmm. The retelling of those same stories, and they said uh, their way of thinking, and I tend to agree with them, that that storytelling and the human connection is going to yeah. be around yeah. as long as there's man. Now, how it's delivered and how it's perceived, we may change that a little bit, but there's still going to be that human connection, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, back to your question about growth, I think some of the things that that make it difficult but also make it exciting is uh, how do you continue to grow the company artistically mm-hmm. as well as financially? Yeah and keep it challenging and relevant all at the same time. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, it's finding that right balance of plays. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, what are the artists that we're going to bring together? Uh, sometimes artists get say, oh, I don't want to do a Midsummer Night's Dream again. Yep. And yet you have to remember that maybe that one audience's person's very first time they have ever seen that play. It's true. And they yeah. go, oh, my <clears> gosh. <throat> Absolutely. I was so taken by Puck and what he said at the end of that play. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's incumbent on all of us to remember that at one point it was new for us the very first time. Yeah. One of my favorite moments in recent history is in the motion picture, Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. There's Wonderful that moment film. where they're doing that scene from Romeo and Juliet. Yes, yes, yes. And you realize there was a time, but only once that the world didn't know how that play ended. Yep. 
And they didn't know that they would wake up. Yeah. And uh, after that, they would walk around and tell everybody that, you know, oh, my gosh, she woke up and it was too late and she couldn't do anything and Romeo was already dead. So word was leaked. Yeah. But there was one time that nobody knew that. Uh I think what a thrilling thing that we can recreate that in theater potentially year after year after year after year. It's true. And we, we have to challenge ourselves to do better each and every time, too. Right? We do. We that's do. And we have to say, okay, how can this be relevant to somebody that's 14 and somebody that's 94? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, can I recount one other story to you? Oh, please. Uh, this because is I think this talks about the power of theater. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm sitting here in this seat, and, of course, you would expect me to say this. But about a dozen years ago, we did a production of Our Town, Thornton Wilder's Our Town. Yeah. Now, for those that know the play, it's generally with very few scenic elements. It is all pantomimed work. Mm-hmm. The actors are doing the work, but you're, you're not seeing everything in the kitchen as they're baking bread. They're making pantomime of everything. Yeah. Well, I like to go see our plays usually six, seven, eight times a season. I see them about every couple of weeks just to sort of check in and where they are and how they're holding together and what the audience yeah. is responding to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would I was sitting in the theater, and it was... I don't know, two-thirds of the way full maybe or so. And I was sitting next to a a couple, and they had a daughter with them who was maybe nine, maybe ten years old. Mm -hmm. And I could see in Act One the daughter was very fidgety, and, of course, the parents were trying to keep her quiet because they were trying to be respectful of the audience. She was kind of twisting and turning and whispering to Mom, like, when is this going to be over and what's going on and that whole thing. And I thought, oh, gee, that's too bad. And, of course, being the theater nerd that I am, I thought, keep that child quiet, please, (laughs) for everybody else. Don't ruin it for everybody. Uh, And uh, the first act intermission came, and uh, I came and sat back down. I noticed the couple and the daughter were gone. And I Uh thought, oh, shoot, they're gone, but maybe they thought she was disruptive and she had to get out of here. And, And after a few minutes, I kind of forgot about it. I got back in the play and everything else. At the end of the play... Uh, I was kind of one of the last people to leave the the auditorium itself. I was mm-hmm. kind of waiting for the audience to come out and just eavesdropping over on comments and what were people saying and thinking. And I walked out in the lobby, and there on the bench in the Randall Jones was that same couple <clears throat> with the little girl, and she was just sobbing. <laughs> and she was going, Mommy, how how come that woman had to die? She loved that man so much. Why did she have to die? <gasps> oh, and goodness. I thought, oh, my gosh. That's what it's all about. Uh They had just moved to another location in the theater to be more quiet and be more respectful of people. Uh But that little girl was so struck that um, Emily had to die and Uh go to the graveyard because she loved George so much. much. And she will never forget that experience when she saw that play for the very first time. That is the power that we have in doing theater. That's true. And I just think it's it's a great story, and it says that's why we do it. That's why we continue to keep doing it. And it's humbling because it reminds us that what we think we're seeing and hearing yeah. isn't always exactly what we're seeing and hearing, yeah. is it? You know, and, and my, last, my last sort of comment about the growth and the challenges is it's expensive. Incredibly theater expensive. is expensive to produce. Yeah. And I know we have challenges because people look at ticket prices and they think, I just can't afford that. How come I can go to a movie for 10 or $12 and it costs me $50 to go to the Shakespeare Festival or more? Yeah. And, and, and I get that. Um, that's hard for a lot of young, young families to justify. It is really hard for yeah. them. And that's why generally you see across the country um, there is a gap usually in the demographics of audiences somewhere that's between true. 20 to 45 or something because – 
they're newly married, they're raising families, they get the kids raised in college, and then they can make a resurgence, can come back to theater or the yeah. performing arts. Um, but I think one of the challenges we've talked about is how do we get those 30-somethings or folks to back into the theater? And we've toyed with some ideas, we've talked about it, but we've got to do a better job of trying to reach out to those people because yeah. you want them to become lifelong appreciators of the arts. You Absolutely. Know? Uh, but but one of the growth struggles is that we've grown is trying to make sure that our contributed income mm-hmm. keeps up with our growth. It can't all rely on ticket sales because if you do, mm-hmm. you're not sticking true to your mission because then you're doing Little Mermaid and you're doing Beauty and the Beast and you're doing those popular plays because you got to keep your doors open. And I get that. But sometimes you got to do King John. Absolutely, you right? do because there's still value in doing King John mm-hmm. and doing Our Town and whatever else it is. Yeah. So that is the constant balancing act that you have to look at. That's terrific. Yeah, uh, you mentioned sort of developing a new audience into yeah. into this this art, this wonderful <clears throat> experience of you know an audience and a performer in live theater. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be a fear uh, on behalf of a lot of people in the performing arts. Uh, what we've seen happen uh, to opera, I think, over the last 75 years or so, it's mm-hmm. become only a, an elite excursion. Yeah. You know what I mean? To, to a degree that uh, I would be terrified of it if this sort of thing happened to theater. Me too. Is there, is there a sense that some of these cuts in education that, are, that, have, that have cropped arts education and funding is there a resurgence? Do we are we responsible for creating that entry point for children to care about theater for the rest of their lives, I or can we maybe count on some other institutions to help us craft that next generation of people that that love this stuff? Well, I think we have a. I think we uh, in the arts community mm-hmm. have a real responsibility. Uh, you know, say it nobly as you want, it's a responsibility, but but selfishly, we have a responsibility. Yeah. Because if we don't do it, who is going to do it? And who will be our audiences of the future? Because if you look at uh, sporting analogies, I look at that and I see, uh, you know, right or wrong, they get it. I mean, they get those kids involved in t-ball when they're four years old, and yep. then they go to little league, and then they go to pony league, and then they have senior league, and then they move on and on. So yep. it becomes a culture yep. of participation and, and a, caring. No matter what stage of your life you're at, Correct. you can participate. And I, I must say that here at the festival, we have mm-hmm. an incredible education department. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like trying to keep the reins and say, whoa, boys, whoa, boys. Yeah. But how exciting that is that is. they're leading the front and saying, we have this idea. What about this? Let's try and do this. And for those that may not know, most of the people in this education office are 30, 35 or under yeah. because they get it. And yeah. and I think that's part of the excitement of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have an incredible leader in Michael Donbar, education mm-hmm. director, because he is the man that is perfectly suited for the job he's in. He earnestly cares yeah. about what can we deliver to make the experience richer. It isn't just a job. Yeah. It's a it's a passion. It's a mm-hmm. it's a, a calling, if you will. You know, yeah, for absolutely. him. And uh, it's a real inspiration, I think, to a lot of people to watch that and to participate in. Yeah. But I do think that we have to look in other directions and say, how can we partner Mm -hmm. with other entities to bring this education and this learning and this opportunity to children? Because, you know, I sit there and I complain as much as the next guy about 
a person that's rattling papers in the theater or somebody that's, you know, kicking the back I of the seat. Anybody that's been to a theater has probably had that yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, but part of it is we have to teach them how to behave. That's true. Uh, they don't know. If they haven't been, if they haven't experienced it, if their parents or grandparents didn't afford them the opportunity yep. to go, they don't know. And there's some apprehension there for some people. There is. I remember is. the first time I went to a symphony orchestra, uh, 14 or 15 years old. I, I didn't know when to clap. Right. You know, I didn't know when I could there's get up pause, from my so seat. Clap. Yeah, exactly. And there is, you got to learn these things before you, before you feel like you've sort of earned your salt and you're, you're a member of that community, right? And, and Shakespeare, the word Shakespeare can be intimidating. It, it is. And a lot of people it is because they were told it was intimidating. Yeah. Or that they had a bad experience from a teacher. Because they only experienced it because they had to read Hamlet in high school. Correct. And memorize words that nobody explained to them what the words meant. Exactly. So they were just words. They were no thoughts. There was no passion behind it. And uh, that's where we've got to do a better job. And I think Mm -hmm. we are doing a better job of that. We're putting out at this university, Southern Utah University, and partnering with the festival, we're putting out better teachers Yep. to teach what those words mean and why they're there. And again, it's a trickle-down effect. And and um, for those that know, we just recently had a high school Shakespeare competition here Yes, with nearly 3,000 students here Yeah, relishing in the words, the music, the sound, and the dance of Shakespeare and Shakespeare's words. I'm so glad you mentioned that. How we're, exciting is that? We're hoping to have a podcast dedicated to, to talking about the Shakespeare Oh, you could, yeah, you certainly could, just it's, solely to that. It, one of the most exciting things I've ever experienced. But it's part of, it's part of educating the, the youth of tomorrow, and it we is. have a real, uh, real allegiance to it. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's ingrained right <clears throat> in our mission statement, Yeah, is I, the word educate. It's true, and enrichment, yeah. I had a wonderful conversation with Aaron Galligan Stroh. Uh, in this podcast series. Yeah. And he, man, he stood on the soapbox on behalf of theater and said, look, this isn't just entertainment. It's not just recreation. When your kid studies theater, you know, whether they're seven or 17, you, these people grow up to be incredible presenters, incredible communicators, um, a lot of times more concise thinkers, yeah. and, and more capable in, in a social world. And you've kind of touched on some of the, those ancillary values of theater. You know, it's not just we don't we don't just want to educate people in theater so that our, our future is secured, right? Right. We, we also want to impart some of the innate skills that people get from this stuff. We, we, I don't just want to assure my paycheck is coming, you know, next month. There's some other stuff involved too. Yeah. Do you maybe have any stories that might? Um, I don't know. Maybe you saw somebody go through uh, the education program and come up the ranks. Well, there's there's anecdotal stories that uh, we hear from people all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. I remember a few years ago, we had um, a couple of very long-time loyal festival patrons, and they became such good friends because of this visiting on the courtyard. Yeah. They invited us to their home for dinner. Yep. And Fred and I went to their home for dinner because they were friends. Cool. It wasn't an obligation. It's something we wanted to do. In the course of that dinner conversation, they began to tell us what the Shakespeare Festival meant to them and their family. And they said, you don't know this, and there's no reason you would know this. But years ago, our child was going through a very rough patch. Mm -hmm. And they were involved in drugs. And they were going to nearly drop out. And they tried to almost commit suicide several times. We brought them to the Shakespeare Festival, kicking and screaming. And they something happened to that person at the Shakespeare Festival. Mm -hmm. 
and they subsequently went on and it changed the course of their life. They decided they wanted to go to college. They became an English major. They are now a leading professor of English back at a very prestigious school on the East Coast. And That's it terrific. changed that person's life. Yeah. Uh, it's those kinds of things that unknowingly yeah. you are doing. Yeah. You hope that's the byproduct. You hope everybody walks away with something, even if they disagree with the play, and even if they don't like it, it causes conversation to speak about, well, what was it about that character yep. that I didn't like? Yep. Why was it I was so bothered by that? Mm -hmm. And have I ever treated people that way in my own life? Absolutely. Even though I'm not Angelo and Measure for Measure, did I ever unjustly... Um, you know, pinpoint a finger where I shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. If it can even engage in those kinds of split-second things, it's like, yeah. okay, a good notch for us, yeah. you know? People listening might think that that's a pie-in-the-sky story and a, a one-in-a-million thing, but it's kind of but it's it, kind of not. It's not. There's a reason we've been doing this since Sophocles. And we or, hear this a lot yeah. from people. That's true. Year after year about how the festival has affected their lives. We had a donor recently in our office who was making a gift to our capital campaign, and they broke down in tears because they just said, and we were thanking them mm -hmm. for the gift. And they said, no, 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 no. We need to thank you because we have the ability to give and to help for something that means so much to us. That's so And cool. so that's just the kind of thing that you hope you're doing with each and every day. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the capital campaign, which is a perfect yeah. segue into the next couple questions. Uh, what's it been like? Um, you, you've seen, you saw the Randall L. Jones uh, get built over the course of a couple of years. You saw the Adams Theater get built over the course of six or seven years. Yeah. Uh, and now here we are uh, with the, the Beverly Taylor Sorensen Center wow. on its way. Uh, what's that? What's that like to see well, it's, this? It's, like I said, lawn chairs in the grass, and here yeah. we go. We've got a forty million dollar art structure coming you right know, at us. You know, it's 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 a mixture of the. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, <laughs> you know, because you're so excited about the future yeah. and what the future holds and the new memories that you're yeah. going to build. But you're, f but you're frightened at the same time of losing all of that gorgeous memories you've had from before. And I know our patrons are feeling this. Yeah. They are so excited and they're so happy that we're, this is happening. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want to lose my feeling when I have when I come in that courtyard and see that beautiful sycamore tree, and exactly. I don't want to lose yep. that feeling of looking up and seeing the stars in the Adams Theater. Uh -huh. and, and believe me, we're feeling the pressure from it. I want you to know uh -huh. to make sure that when they walk in that beautiful new Ingolstadt Shakespeare Theater, that it's a similar experience. It will not be the same experience because it's not the same place. It's not the same yep. location. But it needs to be a similar experience. Yeah. And from that, they will build new, exciting memories. Yeah. And that's what I'm focusing on. But to go from, you know, a temporary stage house to a, a permanent stage house and, in essence, in 1989, double what we're doing from six from three plays to six, to plays, six plays and then starting the fall season and then now going into eight plays a year and now potentially going to... 9, 10, 11, 12 plays a season in a different kind of repertory structure. Yeah. Because we're going to have plays that are going to open and close at different times yeah. to make sure that there's activity on this center project all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean that we're immediately going to play 12 months out of the year? No, probably not. 
but we're going to make sure we program the center in a way that something is happening there all the time. Absolutely. And it becomes a a hub, uh, the gathering place, if you will, Mm -hmm. for Cedar City. That's what we want it to be. Well, in this big new building, it comes with a lot of big new responsibilities, right? It does. Uh, the power it, bill gets bigger. It, I mean, you're indeed right. I mean, uh, we've raised the money for the, the capital campaign, the construction portion, mm-hmm. but now we have all the operations and maintenance and to take yeah. care of these buildings. Yeah. And over the course of 40, 50, 60 years, that's a bigger price tag than the $38 million to construct it in the first place. It is. So it's all of those kinds of things that we have to look at and plan out strategically of, you know, how do we continue to take care of these and be good stewards of these buildings Mm -hmm. and the trust that people placed in us by making these substantial gifts. Uh, But I can tell you it's going to be a very exciting campus with uh, the two new theaters plus the Randall Jones Theater, the rehearsal halls, Mm -hmm. and the the performance studios, the SUMA building, and that great new visual arts museum that's going to be there, uh, a new green show space, a, a much larger seminar grove, and yeah. on and on and on and on, you know. Um, uh, I just want to make sure that we don't screw it up and we do it right. Yeah. And I think we are. We've got a great construction company. The architects have worked long and hard on this, and I, I think come summer 2016, it's going to be a very exciting year for the Utah Shakespeare Festival. That's terrific. This wasn't... Uh... This plan wasn't put together overnight. This is many oh. years of many incantations of this dream. Indeed. Of bringing forth and scaling back and bringing forth and scaling back. Yeah. And we're still on the uh, – the Sorensen Center doesn't mean the festival is done evolving, does it? It's just Not another – it's another step in achieving that initial dream of kind of the Shakespeare destination, you know, for the United States West. Yeah, right? it, it really is. We want We want people to say – Oh, man, if you're in the Intermountain region anywhere, you've got to stop in Cedar City and experience yeah. the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Awesome. It might be a musical. It might be a beautiful outdoor Shakespeare production. Yeah. It might be a brand-new play that has a world premiere here mm-hmm. uh, or any number of things. Absolutely. But this is the place to stop and experience performance and cultural arts. Thank you so much. One more question before I let you go. Yeah. What, what do you think the new center, the new theater, the new museum, uh, this wonderful addition to the campus. What does it mean uh, to Cedar City? You know, uh, we've talked about how much you've seen the Shakespeare Festival grow mm-hmm. and, you know, the college grow. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you've seen kind of a cultural and um, environmental shift here in the town as well. No question. What What does this new center mean or what could it mean to the people of Cedar City? Uh, maybe sure. even the people that don't aren't, aren't too crazy about paying 50 bucks for a theater ticket. Yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of people in Cedar City, Iron County that haven't been to the Shakespeare Festival and likely may never come. Mm-hmm. Or even if they do, they might make it take in a green show uh, because it's in the evening and it's free and I can bring my family. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it has changed and will continue continue to change the cultural and economic landscape of Cedar City. Mm-hmm. We are a different community because of the Utah Shakespeare Festival. You can feel and you can sense and you can physically watch a change in the community yeah. each spring when all of those artists begin arriving in our community. Yep. There is a different tempo. There's a different feel. There's a different ambience about yeah. Cedar City. It's much like when the students return in August and you have 8,000 students coming from a right there's a different vibe there's a different pulse to the community mm-hmm. and i think that's a great thing i yeah. think it's i think it makes for a better 
community to have all these different fabrics coming together to 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 create this beautiful woven kind of diversity of a community yeah. and i think that makes all of us stronger and i think you'll just see more and more of that happen with commerce with restaurants with lodging with uh, different kinds of um, 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 retail opportunities yeah. because as we expand and grow so will the opportunities for the community to grow with us. And I think yeah. that's one of the things we're excited about where we're physically located with this new center. Yeah. We are the perfect um, nexus between downtown and the university. That's true. And we are the coming together and the bringing together of those two cultures mm -hmm. to meld into one great, uh, exciting project. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Scott. We can Your excitement and passion for this stuff really comes through. Uh, the microphone. Hey, it's my pleasure. And man. I know it comes from a genuine place. So thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to participate. Awesome. Stay tuned for a new episode every other week until we start the 2015 season in June. If you haven't subscribed yet on iTunes or your iPod, iPad, or iPhone, you can search for the Play On Podcast at the Utah Shakespeare Festival in the iTunes Store or the podcast app for free.